Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the act out from open mic to the big stage. Comedians tell us how stories were made. I am Duck. Today I'm with an amazing comedian. This guy has some of the best writing in DFW, hands down. The first time I saw you on stage was at an open mic. And I was like, why is this guy doing open mic? He's too good. Like, it was insane. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. So I'm with Vinny Corrales. Vinny, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, man. Doing really well. Excellent. Good to see you. Good to so be here. So you were TV Corrales before, right? But you changed it up. I did, yeah. Like a year ago, I dropped TV or the initials, totally vain. And <laughs> uh, then I got into a, a bit of a, a spat with my father-in-law, who is a former ex-Panther. Although I don't think it ever leaves you. I think it always. <laughs> and he said that if he ever saw TV Corrales again, he was going to put a bullet in his head. Holy. So. <laughs> wow. From then on out, I was like, yeah, maybe we'll... Uh, it will drop the name, so it's harder to find. <laughs> wow, that is insane. First of all, I want to say thank you. Uh, TV Corrales no longer. Vinny Corrales brought me a Smoothie King, so thank you so much for the Smoothie King. First time a guest has ever brought me something to drink, so this is awesome. Oh, those heathens. Oh, no, they were amazing. That's no just, way to treat yeah. you. So how long have you been in the comedy game now? Stand-up for eight years, but I was doing improv, uh, like improvising improv for like a year before I started. And so you count that in for the uh, nine years? I would. Uh, I don't. I mean, if somebody asked me how long I've been doing stand up, usually it's I'd say eight years. But yeah. uh, but it, 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 that first year of doing improv, I think, was really really helpful because it kind of helps give you a sense of a stage presence and a sense of like uh, just being comfortable on stage and just stage time, just doing like crazy kind of characters. I think it's harder for a stand-up to try to go into the improv world because you kind of already have an ego and a sense of who you are on stage. So it, you're less likely to maybe like take some risks that you otherwise would if it was the reverse, if you started improv and then like found stand-ups. So did they dovetail into each other? How did you end up finding the improv? Well, when I moved here, I moved here to Dallas. I'm from like Houston area originally. And then I, I after college, I moved to Costa Rica for a year. And then I moved to Dallas for a girl Ooh. and this girl won for my birthday she uh got me we went through like improv classes at old dallas comedy house mm -hmm. like before dcc it was dch and then it was two locations before where they are now it was really a lot of fun like i didn't really know much but we were basically you know the team that i kind of found through improv we were doing like heralds so you know you were kind of writing acting and directing a three-act play kind of on the spot and the goal was kind of to like build these, you know, three very distinct worlds or several distinct worlds. And then at the very end of the show, like right when everything's wrapping up at the last minute, you kind of make them seem like they were all like in the same universe the whole time. When it's done right. And but improv is only ever done like right, like 25 <laughs> percent of the time. You know, it's there's a lot of bad improv yeah. out there. But it, it was fun. I had fun with it. It was good. It was a good introduction to so you had never world. had any ambitions of being a comedian before that or doing anything comedy-wise? No, I was uh, I was a musician for a while. I moved here to Dallas uh, as a musician initially, and then that's kind of just, that's where my focus was. I was just playing and, you know, I was 
for like 10 years, I was in kind of like a Texas blues band, like a psychedelic blues band for a while. Very nice. And then I moved up here, and then I was in this weird kind of Filipino <laughs> kind of like vibe playing drums. That's where my focus was for a while. What all do you play? You, I know you play guitar because you play guitar in your special, which we should give a shout out to. Uh, what's it called again? Rebel Without Applause. Rebel Without Applause. I listened to it earlier. And for the first two tracks, you're playing the little mini guitar. Oh, yeah, the Gitalele. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's freaking great. And it it works really well with your comedy because you pause a lot and you hold pauses. And so like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really well. That's to me, it's like there's such a a crossover between music and comedy. Like, it's all about creating tension and then, like, the resolve. And that first one, it was really kind of a nod to, like, the, the Mitch Hedberg album when he has, like... Like the bass player just kind of it's just there is like an accompaniment like the jokes could stand alone on themselves yeah. but like it's just kind of like i don't know i i wouldn't do it again i'm glad i got it out of my system because <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't do it again now i've heard you tell the jokes without the the guitar the mini guitar or whatever it was called the Gucci, what was Gitalele. it? It's like a ukulele <laughs> and a guitar. So I, I've heard you tell the jokes and kill without them. Like I said, the first time I saw you was on open mic, and I was like, why is this guy at open mic? Like, I was totally shocked. Well, that's why and, I, I got so good, because I still I still go out and, yeah. and work out new shit. And we got such a great scene here. Like, there's no reason not to be good. There's so much stage time. Like, Yeah, there really know. is. There's, what, 10 clubs, 11, 12 clubs now, I think, something like that. And yeah, plus, that's what I can, all yeah. the smaller venues that you can go to, the bars and stuff like that. DFW is starting to boom up. It's, it's not bad. Yeah, the pandemic was really like a catalyst, I think, for Texas comedy in general, just like as a spotlight kind of turned from the coast because, you know, the coast were out of practice for so long. The only people getting reps in were people from here. So we just kind of got better and then more people kind of started paying attention to the already, I mean, this is a happening scene. Like, I don't care what anybody says. I dig it. And we were here at Addison, we were the first club that was open in the nation, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I was here during that time and it was, it was pretty cool. (laughs) Well, let's go back a little bit. Where are you from originally? I'm from uh, Lake Jackson, Texas, home of Selena, Bucky's, and Ron Paul. (laughs) And Vinnie Corrales, too. And Vinnie Corrales, yeah. yeah. Ron Paul actually pulled me from my mother's womb. I'm serious. He was OBGYN. He was uh, my just about my whole graduating class. He like delivered us. Oh, really? The first hands who ever touched me. The first man to ever touch me. I don't know if that's cool. (laughs) Ron Paul. I'm not gonna get political here. (laughs) So, but but Selena. Shout out to Selena. Shout out Bucky's. Oh my god! I thought that was a joke. That was so good. (laughs) You just gotta tell that on stage too. Holy. (laughs) <laughs> um, um, it's a little town then yeah it's like southeast like it's like a beach town it's you know it's it's small but it's it's within proximity to houston so i was in houston a lot all right cool up. so what were you like as a kid were you the funny kid were you shy were you the um, smart kid because i could see you being doll victorian and all that oh no I, I don't think i'm that smart i think i'm pretty clever i know what it takes for people to think i'm smart like hence why i carry a rubik's cube around with me all the time <laughs> Uh, so I think that that's clever to, to be able to like build that reputation, but I'm not, I, I'm not a very smart kid. I, I was really into motocross as a kid. That was my pursuit. I was into amateur motocross. So oh wow, we were racing like all around the region going to like, you know, tracks and trying to, you know, get to that level where, where maybe, maybe I want to pursue it professionally. Maybe I'm fast enough, but you know, it's one thing to be fast enough, like the fastest kid at your like local track or like in the state or the region. But when you're there with all the kids who are those kids everywhere else and you're coming in like 32nd, you know, 27th, and you're like, yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah I'm good. <laughs> maybe high school band is where I'm at. Maybe French horn is my, 
<laughs> more suited for but, me. But you still ride motorcycles, right? Oh, I still ride like a yeah street bike. Yeah, yeah. I got a Yamaha SCR nine fifty. It's like a scrambler. It's not like a you know. As you can see, I, I don't anything. know motorcycles. I wish it's I like an old Steve McQueen oh, kind of okay, type bike, like like kind of seventies, rugged minimalist. Very kind. nice. And I read that summer that you and your wife ride motorcycles, or she rides she rides on the back of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's freaking awesome, dude. So going back to comedy, you were talking about take those classes. What made you decide to actually go for the stand up at that point? What was the transition from going? Oh, I'm pretty okay at improv, or I'm good at improv. I think I'm going to take on this other challenge. Well, the girl that I moved to Dallas for and who got me the tickets to start improv, who I was dating, we broke up <laughs> eventually. <laughs> it was just one of those cases where she had all the internet and TV and stuff, and I was just very poor. So like, whenever <laughs> I was living by myself, I didn't have any of that. And I still had an old flip phone, like, you know, my only flip phone from like, oh, wait. So I was very like disconnected. So I was just kind of manic, depressively, just like writing a lot. And then I presented some of the stuff to my uh, some of my improv teammates, and they were like, hey, that's pretty funny. You might want to take that to an open mic once. And I was like, okay. So I did my first one January 15th, 2015, and it was a Thursday at, at uh, Backdoor, the old Backdoor location. Now, was your set clean enough for to be okay for Backdoor? Or? Oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not, the only thing is I went over, like way over. Like, oh, yeah, time. you ran yeah. the light. Oh, big time. I didn't know what any of that was. Yeah. And it was this big kind of spiel about like being pretentious and like, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 like, like spraying yourself with a, a mace, and then have this big ending at the end. And then like Linda turned the music on, and then she, we got out, and she was like, "How? The, how could you go over? Don't you know what the light means?" Like she was really just laying it into me, and she was like, "She was like that was you know funny enough, so we kept going, but you gotta stop doing." And then after like her you know ramp up, I was like. So you thought it was funny. <laughs> but uh, she's nice. Six months into doing that, then Linda started asking me to start working weekend at Backdoor. So I was, oh, wow. I was just seating people and timing and lighting and working the door to get stage time. Oh, very when nice. I first started there. So. Very nice, yeah. So being clean was never really... I like having like a boundary. Almost like I think Backdoor is good practice. At, I think it helps you as a writer because you know where the line is, so you actually know what you can do to kind of like tiptoe it very kind of tongue-in-cheek. I think it makes you a better writer. And on your special, it was uh, recorded at Backdoor, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was Incredible listening to it, and I'm sitting there going, going, you know what, like, it's risque. Like, you run the line, but you never say anything that passes the line. And I kept wondering how you got away with it, because I know that they're clean over there. But then I was just like, man, he's good. And the one thing that always impresses me about your comedy is your king of the twist. Like, you always have this twist, and then you hit with a punch that no one sees coming. <laughs> so it's it's amazing, dude. It's one of my favorite things. I, like, I think of any of your jokes, I'm, like the quinoa joke, which we won't give it away. Oh, but like, yeah. That's an amazing twist, and it's such a great buildup. And like you said, building the tension and just keep layering it on, layering it on. It's just one of those things where wh – where does that come from? Were you always kind of quick on your feet when it came to stuff like that? Well, like, going back to, like, how you asked, like, how I was a kid, like, I wasn't, like, the class clown. The class clown was this guy, Jared, who he was actually voted class clown. And his big thing was at like parties, he would teabag girls while oh they were like God. sitting on the couch. Oh, no. And people were like, classic Jared. <laughs> that's, Sexual that's, assault. That's, that's our go. clown, baby. That's our cl <laughs> And I was just always like the guy like, what? These people think this is funny? Like, <laughs> like what is this? So like my style of humor was very much like I would try to get all the kids – 
to say uh, to like we're like when we're in middle school, I was like, all right, with our teacher today, everybody instead of saying the word also, let's say, <laughs> and it'll just be very subtle and subliminal. And if you say it without like any laughter or anything, she's gonna think that she's like losing her mind or yeah. something. So that was kind of my like style of humor is like kind of a little subversive, a little like under the radar, but like with a big pop. I think a, a lot of that kind of bleeds over from like thinking musically too, just like you know, building tension, 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 and then, like, at the very last second, just, you know, it's release. It's yeah. back to the one chord. It's, you know. Yeah, yeah, the the, the two the two arts are very sacred, music and comedy, and that's why, like, I don't think I would ever do the Get to Lately thing again, too, because, like, I see a lot of, like, musical comics who just, who just don't do it right. Like, it's not good comedy or good music, and I, like, treat both of those. I hold them both in, in really high esteem, so... There's a lot of parallels. Yeah, I was even thinking about the parallels recently, like music and comedy. It's like thinking about my time as a musician, you know, you could really be like locked in or like just like grooving like on stage and it's just undeniable, like, you know, but you'd like look up in the stage and there's like always people who are, you know, too cool for school to like show you that they're like feeling it. Yeah. You know, they'll just like sit there like, you know, but like with comedy, you can't be too cool for school to like not laugh. Like, that's involuntary. So it's a little bit more rewarding, I think, pursuing comedy than pursuing music, at least at this stage in my life. Well, it's also a solo effort. I was in a band for many years. Oh, what you play? I played the drums, and right so I was in a punk ska metal band. Hell yeah. And so back in, like, 2005, when it didn't exist and the genre didn't exist and whatever. So we had a blast. And but playing with an ensemble, knowing that you have people have your back, you know, especially the bass player in the drummer, you know, grooving together on that stuff. It's completely different. That's why I was so afraid to do comedy for so long, because I could go on stage and play drums like it's nobody's business, but to get up there and stand in front of people, I was so scared. So were you scared? Did you feel that the first time you went up, or were you, do you think because you were in a band for so long, you were fine? I think, yeah, the band thing helped, and the improv thing helped, too. But that's the good thing about improv, too, is, like, whenever it goes bad, you have other people to commiserate <laughs> it's with. It's your fault! <laughs> you know, and stand-up, when it goes bad, it's it's a very lonely ride home. Oh, like, yeah. it's a lot of, what am I doing in my life yeah. kind of thoughts. Three you know? days worth of, oh, God, I suck. I just yeah. don't even know what's wrong with me. Yeah, it's definitely different and it's scary I, I, like you said with improv the troop aspect and everyone's always so positive you never meet an improv troupe where people are yelling at each other it's always yes and got your back comedy's such a different beast it, stand-up comedy is such a different beast it's just you out there and just you in the crowd and having a conversation and that's the other thing i want to compliment you on and i already said it you're pausing you take long pauses in between your jokes. Did you always do that from the beginning, or is that something you learned over time? Yeah, I've, I've always never felt like I was in a rush to get to a punchline. I've always felt like if you can kind of grip them with, like, a, a premise, you know, and then maybe get some, like, laughs, like, in a premise, and then it's just nice to know, like, oh, yeah, they're laughing at this. Like, I got this thing in my back pocket. Wait till they hear this, you know? So, like, once you know that, because, like, at a certain point, stand-up becomes less an art and more a science, you know, because, you know, this joke has worked 99 times out of 100. So, like, I can play with timing. So, like, a lot of that kind of came from, like, maybe just being bored from, like, the way I was telling the joke 
initially and then just like you know how like whenever you um sometimes i'll get in like writer's block like a creative block and i'm like oh i still want to like go out and work on something so i'll do like an old joke but i'll just say it differently like i'll give you know different emphasis somewhere i'll, I'll slow it down i'll speed it up in spots and uh, i think maybe just like trial and error with that a lot i just kind of settled in and was very comfortable with silence like because i always felt like the destination was going to be worth it it was okay to pause it was okay to have these like moments of like just like tension that you can feel in the yeah. room because that's how much faith i had in the punchline like you know making it all worth it it's got to be a natural thing because you're doing it even right now as you talk like you're you have this thread that you're going along and you're building tension as you're talking so it must be just something natural to you i also. guess it is you know yeah. it's crazy dude and also i love the idea of stretching the tape of, of kind of warping it and going, I'd like to go faster here, I'd like to go slower here. You're always practicing. Yeah, but without like sacrificing fat in the joke, though, like not making it more wordy than it has to be, just purely what you said, just stretching it. Like it, everything is still there, although the permutation of words are still there. You're just kind of playing with it. You're playing with the syllables. You're, that's a good way of thinking of stretching. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So what's it like being a preschool teacher? Are you still doing that? Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> Two-time teacher of the year right here. So how long have you been doing that? We're going on uh, 10 years. 10 years? Oh, wow. I know you get some of your material from that. I'm sure you get new material every day from the kids because kids are – Yeah. Are, they say the wildest stuff. This kid, Toby, last week, he's uh, a little Vietnamese boy. And uh, Cliff is just starting to realize, like, differences of, like, how kids look. And he was like, uh, hey, Mr. Vinny? Is Toby even from Texas? Oh, Jesus. And Toby heard this, and he was like, what? I have cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was like, next, I mean, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That I was watching this, like, panel of doctors, psychologists, whoever, who were talking about uh, psychedelics and, you know, like, the, the, the pros, the cons of them. They're all, like, on stage giving thing. And somebody asked, like, what you could do to like supplement that experience if you didn't want to actually like ingest a psychedelic and the lady was like oh well we've seen like brain scans of this and there is a thing you can just spend time with a four-year-old or a five-year-old what and she was like yeah that like triggers like a similar kind of thing to the brain that like they see with like psychedelics and i think about that and i'm like I'm going on like 10 years of this, like straight. Like, we're like a private school. We don't get somewhere like we're going every day, baby. Yeah. Like, I'm like the Sid Barrett. Yeah, right dude. 100%. I'm just, yeah. I'm like living Just in don't this leave the band. Psychedelic all. world. Yeah, dude. That's awesome. It would definitely change the way you see the world and your perspective because children do have that, like you said, he thought it came down to the boots. That's hysterical, dude. Yeah. And that's, that's like, they just see the world so differently. And I, that's what scares me about having children, though, too, is we program them with our And that scares me because a lot of people have some bad out there. And so but we're just the product of what we were told. I was feeling it in my pocket, and I actually, I brought one of these things. What, what is it? <laughs> this thing in my pocket. Is it a dog thing? No. What's it do? The cricket chirps, dude. <laughs> you could have been doing that the whole time, and I, I wouldn't know. These are the pants that I th didn't think I was 
that I had different black pants on. Well, let's get back kind of to. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll bring it back. I'll bring yeah, it back. I didn't mean to derail it. No, nope. so I derailed it because my <laughs> thought process. I'm going to delete that all out. But I'm telling you, man, I think that all the time we're just the product of somebody said something and we went, oh, okay, I guess you're right. For sure, and it takes a while to kind of like shatter that kind of illusion. Like yeah. it could even be simple stuff. Like I remember growing up thinking that like I was gay for a, a little bit, and it was all because. Like, I had older cousins, they asked me, like, to look at my fingernails, check my fingernails, and I went like this or something, and they're like, oh, you're gay, because I guess if you're not gay, you would do this. There's two different ways. That's That was their litmus test. So, this is gay, this is Were you straight. even old enough to know what gay was? No, but they told me that I was that, and so then I just kind of grew up for a little bit thinking <laughs> I was this thing. And, but uh, that's exactly it. Like, we're told how to think, and, like, the bullying aspect of it is a big thing. You know what I mean? Like, I have extreme PTSD from being bullied from school, and, you know, I would love to just let it go of it, but subconsciously I can't. Yeah. You know? Anyhow, so what was it like the first time you hosted? What When you got the gig to go up for the first time and actually get paid? Oh, it was, like, the first time you make money, like, beating a drum. You're like, oh, I can... I can get paid for this. I guess this is this is, you know, going to be a new pursuit. Like, but that was never really the goal. I mean, like, I would be doing it if I wasn't getting paid. So same thing with like music or something. So like, once you realize you can make money doing these other not conventional nine to five, you know, kind of what you're taught, what you're told, you should do things. At least for me, I just had that itch where it's like, I I just want to just keep doing enough that I can avoid those conventional nine to five things, you know, writing for my life because I'm scared of a day job. Yeah. Is that, is that (laughs) common? Yeah. Common. (laughs) They say. I I think I agree. I found a day job because I do this that I, I absolutely love, but like this was luck. This was all luck. And what I always say is luck is when hard work and timing finally meet. And it was just that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like not conventional. This is not, I mean, like look at what you're doing right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good gig. It's a good gig. So going from hosting to featuring, uh, and then finally headlining, what was that like the first time you got that headlining gig? I think it's online, isn't it? On the YouTube? Is that the first headlining gig or were you headlining? here? Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. It it did pretty well on oh, YouTube. Oh, you did I, awesome. I got DeWood out here to film it. Yeah. And, uh, I think we're going to have him back for the one in March. Yeah, just, I mean, the most challenging part was trying to just pack the place out, just, you know, getting the word out and packing the place out. So, but, you know, people showed up, people, so we did a good job. I think we're going to have a pretty good show for the, the March one, but the feeling is... I, I don't know. I think if you're still writing and still putting in the work, you kind of always kind of feel like I don't feel any different now than I think I, f- I would feel, you know, four years ago. Just because I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll headline this show. But like the next week, like I won't even get my name called for like an open mic or yeah. something. So <laughs> comedy is very humbling. You know, it's very as a way of like. You know, making you realize it's just such a good scene. It's just really a testament to the scene. There's just so many good, you know, people here that, uh, you know, it's, you're fortunate whenever you can, you know, find opportunities to do it. But eh, my mindset hasn't really changed. The mindset is always just like be funny. It's just, you know. And so whenever I was trying to find other comics to do the show with, too, I, I just look for other people that, that I uh, also kind of see a similar, like, mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're doing it for the right reasons. 
Yeah, I think uh, that just gets rewarded in the scene, and I think that, you know that, that's just another case of of what happened in my circumstances too. Hey everyone, it's just stuck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you dig it, please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio. And don't forget to follow our social media, all links in the description. And with that, back to the podcast. So what is your writing process like? Do you do longhand? Do you write in your head? Do you use a computer? No, I don't use a computer. I'll use the phone to like write down like a word or like a topic or something. Well, I start the mornings and Seth actually told me about this. Like starting the mornings, like every day, the first thing you're doing is just like writing for like 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be material, doesn't have to be funny, just like write, just sorting out your truths, you know? So I'll just start with that and and throughout the day, like just starting your day like that, it helps kind of wake up those parts of your brain that are like always like looking for things or trying to figure out how to articulate things or word things. I think it just activates the, that part of your brain a little bit better. So throughout the day, I, I, uh, I'll, you know, write topics or something on my phone, but never like long form anything. Usually maybe a couple times a week, I'll like find like a quiet place to go and, and sort through what I have and then try to build like a little set list. And if I need like little notes of like, you know, where's a punchline that I wanted to go with that topic like I'll write that or something but yeah for the most part it's just like accumulate 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 go back filter out sort see what could fit into the already existing set maybe I've got like a new tech and that's the the thing too I like I tell like any other comic who asks me like for tips or something I say you just got to write down everything everything because you never know when you know, five years from now, you have like a new experience and all of a sudden something you wrote five years ago, it like makes sense all of a sudden, you know, like, like, oh, like you have a new joke for something you're like scrolling and then, oh, yeah, I remember writing that down. I, I remember the headspace I was at. Oh, that can fit perfectly with this thing I had. But like you would never have known it if you didn't even write it. So even if it seems like it's nothing at the time or it's going to go nowhere, you clearly thought about it enough to where it like it jogged your your brain and it woke you up somehow. So the least you could do is like write it down and then come back to it if you have like a, a new kind of perspective or new experience, you know. But right. but it starts with just writing every everything down. So then I you know I just do that and then yeah go back filter see what works see what I can try out at a mic see what I can try it at a weekend show and then just over and over it's it's Sisyphus baby pushing up the rock yeah pushing the rock up the mountain that's what comedy <laughs> is no doubt it's endless. I always like to ask, do you have any advice for up-and-coming comedians, people like me? I've only been doing it a year, you know what I mean? What would you tell them to do, you know, to get better? That thing right there. And just when you're, like, in the scene, don't be needy, don't be boring. Somebody told me that, like, a really long time ago, and it always kind of stuck with me. So what exactly does that mean? You know, don't just be, like, lurking, like, around. Also thinking about, like, even, like, open mics, almost, like, as interviews, especially, like, in your first year or so. So, like, I was, you know, constantly going out there because I think I understood early on that you're going to get most of your work from other comics, you know, most of the work you get is not going to be from clubs for the most part, especially that first year, you know. So whenever you're on stage, you know, I try to treat most mics like I would a show. So like I very rarely am I out there with notes or am I out there like kind of just wasting time. I only go to a mic to try to get something productive out of it. Like I'm never there just to hang out or, you know, just to be seen or anything. But like whenever you do are around comics, though, 
you know, just be, just try to serve the scene. If you just try to serve the scene, like what you're doing right here is already a great job. Mm-hmm. Like this podcast is a great Thank service you. of the scene, you know, because ultimately I think like it's the scene itself is going to elevate. Like it's us like helping each other out, you know, promoting each other's stuff on IG or whatever. And I, I think because of that, the scene will kind of rise a little bit more so than just like one specific person. Ralph is an exception, obviously. He's <laughs> killing it right now. But, uh, but I, I was saying that before Ralph, just because like, but he's an example of it. He's a byproduct of a great existing scene here, you know, where everybody is kind of, if you're in it for the right reasons and the right attentions, people are recognize that. And if it, you know, it doesn't come off like needy, it comes off like you're doing it for the scene in service of the scene rather than in service of yourself. Then you, you think you're going to work your way up the, the totem pole in the ranks yeah. a little quicker. Yeah, that makes total sense. I and mean, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I got to ask this. Because I love this question. What is the weirdest thing you ever saw on stage? And please tell me it's when the guy threw his leg at you. <laughs> oh, sh- <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Were you here for that? Dude? I was not here for that. And I, I, I think I heard about it afterwards, but that's hysterical. What exactly happened? Yeah, I was standing right here and the guy was right there in the front row. <laughs> And he was wearing shorts, right? And listen, if you have a fake leg, <laughs> you could wear pants and nobody would have to know, right? <laughs> so he wore shorts. Like he wanted people to see his leg. And I just, you know, I just took notice of it. nobody had ever had mentioned it so far, like going up. And it was the first thing I saw. And, you know, I was uh, going back and forth with him and, uh, you know, it may have gotten a little immature at times. I may have called him a pirate, <laughs> you know, maybe once or twice. Um, but it seemed like we were having a good time. But before I knew it, he like had detached it and threw it up on stage. And then I'm sitting there, I'm like holding this leg, like, how can I turn this into comedy somehow? And I give the leg back to him. He was there with his wife, right? His wife did not seem very happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> his wife. It was kind of like, uh, almost like a Will Smith, Jada Smith <laughs> kind of thing. Because he, at first, he seemed like he was happy about it. And then he looked at her, and then all of a sudden, maybe he wasn't so happy. Oh, I, I guess no. she doesn't. So, like, the next day, I got a message on Instagram, and she was like, I'm the wife of the man you accosted yesterday oh, on stage. She was like, my husband is a parable a amputee or whatever. She was like, you called him a pirate. That is a slur against amputees everywhere. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I'm like, I didn't even know amputees had their own slur. So it was already, it was a real, real educational moment for me. But I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't apologize. I, you know, I, I feel like I was like, hey, it seemed like everybody was having a good time. You know, I, that none of that was written on stage. We were just kind of messing around, you know, seeing what jokes worked, seeing what jokes had legs. <laughs> and then, and then uh, so then I see the dot, 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 and then nothing, right? A few hours later, like whenever I got home, I looked at my IG again, and uh, I got a, a message from the husband, from the pirate. Oh, no. And he said, oh, hey, I'm the guy that you were having fun with. He said having fun. He was like, my wife, she's not a big fan of it. She doesn't really like the humor about the leg. I'm fine with it. It's okay with me. She has always kind of had an issue with it. And to be honest, I don't really know how much time she's got left. Whoa. Which is a really ominous thing to say. Yeah, what's that mean? (laughs) To me, by the end of that week, 
they were either divorced or he made her walk the plank or something. Like, <laughs> I did not see it coming. <laughs> From a mile away, I would not have seen that. Oh, that was awesome. Is that one of your bits, or is that? Uh, I've, I've, that was the only time I've ever uh, written on stage. I've, oh no, no, I've done it twice. I, once I did it a couple weeks ago with this new bit about uh, chess that's actually really killing. But I've only done it twice, where I've like had an idea and like went up on stage with like nothing. Just, the the week after it happened, I said that here. It's awesome. And I was just recounting it. I was just saying, you know, what happened. And yeah, that was. Uh, but that was when it was kind of the first, like, oh, maybe maybe I can tell stories. Maybe I can drift into that world. Because to me, I'm a very, like, set-up punch guy. And stories just kind of, you know, first of all, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to practice them around yeah. here, for one, you know. So when you get in there, you're just trying to work on, like, jokes, like when you get to a mic, because you only have so much time, you know. Right. Unless the story is, like, foolproof right from the get-go, like, it's kind of hard to practice them. But that's definitely a territory, like, I'm I'm trying to, like, weave in. So, like, for the next and friends that I do here that... Uh, I think you need to tell that A couple one. of more stories. Yeah, no, I think that's great, dude. That is awesome. You have a Mandarin there? Yeah, I got one for you, too. Oh, that's all right. I'm good. I mean, you keep offering me stuff. Do you, do you have an extra Rubik's Cube? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Just going to take advantage of the situation. So, what is it with the Rubik's Cube? And all your pictures, you're holding the Rubik's Cube. So, the Rubik's Cube, what is with that? I carry this thing with me. Just at all times, this is a 5x5x5 five by five by five Rubik's Cube. I got into it pretty late in life. I would just carry them with me and, like, work on them. And then I started with the 3x3x3, three by three by three, right, the normal one. And then kept working my way up. And then you can get it to the – I've done a 9x9x9, nine by nine by nine, which took me, like, an hour and a half to do. So usually I just stick around, like, the 5 or the 6s. Oh, wow. This thing – this particular cube literally saved my life in a gunfight. So that's – I always kind of just have this on me. And you tell that joke, uh, I think, on the YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah, it's on the, yeah. the evening at the Improv. Yeah, it's, it's, called, right it's really, really funny. So go watch that video. It's about a half hour long. It's worth all your time because you're going to be laughing the whole way through. But yeah, that's the specific one that saved you in the gunfight. Yeah, and it's... Uh, so it's like a good luck charm. It's that. It is very much that. I don't know. It's a good conversation starter. Oh, yeah. I used to get girls' numbers at restaurants. <laughs> with it. So I Did you say restaurants? Yeah, like an Ojos Locos, <laughs> like your Twin Peaks, your Hooters. So you would take in the Rubik's Cube and they would be like, so, so what's it, up with that? After like a mic or a show or something, I'd go in there, you know, like working on like jokes, like I got the whole tortured artist shtick, you know, at the bar or whatever. <laughs> been at a titty bar almost. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but these girls aren't smart enough to go like be strippers, <laughs> so they're already like I'm in my wheelhouse, right? I told you I'm not smart, I'm clever, so I know how to... I know how to play the game. <laughs> and so I, I'd go, and, you know, they'd ask, like, what I was working on, and I'd always be like, oh, suicide letter or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if that wouldn't scare them away, they would be into the cube. They'd be like, hey, what's up with that? I'd be like, oh. She was like, you, you can solve that? And it'd be like, you know, in my head, I'm like, you know, if I'm stupid enough to bring it out in public, don't you think I might be smart enough to yeah. know how to put Because I used to, like, take it out, like, to backdoor at the bar, and I would, like, hustle people with it. I thought, like, it was, it, back door used to be at the hotel at the Doubletree, so it was a lot 
kind of fancier clientele there at the bar. Dude, I, I would go in there. I would win like 200 bucks. Oh, like, wow. Just hustling people with the Rubik's Cube, like these fucking old, like, drunk. So, what, you would have them mix it up and then you would. I would let it? them mix it up and they would do, oh, you think you can get it under 10 minutes? And I'm like, I can get this in like six minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You can um, tell that by looking at it. You can say, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah for sure. Wow. Oh, you want to just scare in? Oh, no, dude. I'd blow it up for me. And then, uh, yeah, so I would go to these restaurants, and I'd always be able, they would be, they would be like, oh, uh, how long is it going to take you to solve that? And I, I would always say, it was like a script, dude. It was like, well, how long would it impress you? And they'd be like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, like 15 minutes or something? And I'm like, good God, these girls. And so I'd always be able to wager it to be like, all right, if I get that done within 15 minutes, you'll get my next beer. Right? Very nice. So then I would get to the move or whatever, and I'm like, two moves away and at that point i kind of really don't even have to like look at it because i know exactly like what i'm doing and she'd be over and i'd be like hey how about instead of that beer i get your number instead and it would be complete right and they would just be looking at it like yeah yeah dude that had like a 98 percent success wow rate. it only ever failed once now be honest did you get laid from the ruby oh cube? yeah for sure dude oh, damn. for sure Damn, I gotta get me a cube then. Yeah, cube saying. is life, baby. Yeah. Cubism. <laughs> and you started it later in life, you said? Yeah, I was like 24, 25. Wow. I started doing stand up before I started doing the cube. Yeah. And I would just bring this to like mics with me all the time. And I was always working on it while I was waiting on. Oh, that's genius. So you were stuff. learning that skill while. Yeah, I, I skill. used to bring it up on stage, actually. And play with it as you were. I would throw it in the crowd and they would scramble it. I would tell some jokes, I would get it back. And then I would work on it while I was, and I had jokes to go along with it. And if I didn't finish it in time, I had outs. I had ways to like oh, make it wow. funny. But then the pandemic happened, and then I started getting like, I didn't know how people would feel about me throwing it out there and them touching it and shit. And then so I just stopped, and I just never kind of brought it back. Oh, that's awesome. Though. That's so much fun. Maybe I will. Yeah, you should definitely bring that back. That's a fun little bit, I guess, is what you would call I don't even know what you would call that. That's just clever. Once again, clever. Yeah. There you go. It's a shtick, as, my, as my dad would I, I'm just so happy it got you it. laid, dude. Like, oh, that's yeah, insane. Dude. Like, dude, I really, I used to take that thing to strip clubs. I'd get free lap dances with it. Oh, wow. It, it's gotten me out of uh, tickets before. And like you said, it saved your life, too. So. And it saved my life. Yeah, it's a, definitely a token. That's definitely, if you were an inception, that would be your little thing. So, Where do you see yourself the next five years? Where do you want to be? Oh, if I could just keep being funny, that's goal number one. But like professionally if i could just i don't know if if i could uh five years from now i think i should be on the road more like you know i finally got my epk i got this good tape of my last and friends so now i'm like sending that out to like places so we're starting to like spread a little bit more you know so i'm just hoping that I, I can uh you know just make as many people laugh as possible really that that's that's the goal that's always been the goal you made me laugh today, so I've had a great time. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think that was a pretty good conversation. We're... Yeah, Palestine is... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going there. Uh, all right, we got to promote the show, of course. It's going to be Thursday, March 2nd at 7.30. So Vinny Corrales and friends, we got Ryan Perio, Kirsty Hayden, Des O'Neill, Brian Kim, and Jordan Jay on the show with you. So Those are you, some heavy hitters, baby. Yeah, that's an awesome show. That's an awesome lineup. You're going to have a freaking blast. Hell yeah. Des was funniest comic in Texas at one point. Jordan Jay just won the funniest comic in Dallas then. Yeah. Perio just put out an album. Yep. Car pods are awesome. <laughs> yeah, Kirsty is like doing like theaters sometimes. Like with, uh, I've seen her with like Steve Trevino and and Brian Kim, the young buck, yeah, always makes me laugh, dude. Every time, always it, makes. And me similar laugh. to you, he has long pauses, 
And <laughs> so he, he goes up there and he just his awkwardness and his twitch will make yeah. you laugh like every time. Yeah, so. I like I like people who's like very low effort to get the maximum low input for maximum output oh, it you know works. how little can you do to get <laughs> the biggest reaction it's about efficiency really yeah it's it's scientific like you said earlier it's almost like it's down to a science but with that said thank you so much for being on i appreciate it Vinny. and for everyone listening please support local comedy in any way shape or form that you can with that said we will see you on the next one Rubik's Cube. Hell yeah, dude. And there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade Podcast, Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made. That's right, we're talking all that video game goodness. And finally, we have Quacking Up, a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please check out our social media, all links in the description. And with that, we'll see you on the next one.